Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 144 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. So today you get part two. So if you haven't listened to episode 143, you might want to do that first because that was the introduction of these wonderful two couples who started the organization Just Enduring. So last week, if you remember, we talked with Nick and Martha and we just touched on what Just Enduring is all about. So this week, Laura and Ben help explain more of what they hope Just Enduring will be able to accomplish. And I am just so excited to introduce that to all of you because I am hoping to be really a key part of that and help them with their mission and trying to help hospitals and physicians and other groups kind of learn more about how to help people as soon as they start on this grieving journey. So now you get to hear all about Ben and Laura and their amazing little son, Jackson. Thank you so much to Ben and Laura for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you Thank so you. very much for having us. I'm very excited. So now this is part two. But for now, I just want you to talk about your wonderful little son, Jackson. Awesome. Well, um, so Jackson's our first. We were very excited to have him. Everything went really smoothly for us. We were just astounded at how easy he you know, the pregnancy was, and then, um, you know, our big story was we, we would tell people, okay, his big life story is that he was accidentally born at home. I just did not make it in time <laughs> to the hospital. And luckily we had a doula who was about a test away from being a midwife with us, barely, but she was with us. Oh, that's good. Um, she arrived 19 <laughs> minutes before Jackson came to us. Yeah. So Really? So did she come in preparation of like taking you to the hospital or yeah. what, what all happened? Right. So her plan was, you know, we called and it's our first. So we're like, well, I mean, you know, I'm having contractions. They've been going on for like a day. You get the normal advice of what to do, you know, uh -huh. get in the shower and kind of, you know, see how things go and progress. And um, I just, I skipped a couple stages of labor unknowingly. And so, <laughs> you know, the part that tell you go to the hospital. <laughs> so, but we called our doula and we said, you know, we, we think you need to come. It's time for you to come be with us. And then, you know, we need to assess whether we need to go to the hospital. So her plan mm -hmm. was to go to the birthing center with us and be with us, not actually deliver him, but just be with us to coach us. She, she made it just in time. She actually got there and told Ben, okay, you need to go pack the car. Like we're leaving now. And then by the time he did that and got back, she said, change of plans. We're going to go ahead and have this baby here. And we already had bags ready. It wasn't like I had yeah. to go pack. I just literally threw things in, came back, and Jackson was coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. So he was he was born at home. 
uh, very unexpectedly. He was fine. He was healthy. Um, you know, everything went okay. And, and we ended up going into the hospital afterwards, you know, uh-huh. to obviously make sure everything is okay. But so that was our big, big Jackson story, right? So we were like, okay, that's going to be his life story. Right. That's the one that you tell forever, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I'll, I'll add too that recording this podcast is particularly meaningful for us this weekend because tomorrow actually would be his fourth birthday. That's true. Um, so yeah, very, very meaningful to us to, to get the opportunity to talk to you this weekend as well. That is really beautiful to think about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So just about four years ago. <laughs> I went, I went through that labor with my first one a little quick too, because I was in the hospital because they had to induce me, but I got to like four centimeters or something. And they said, okay, we can put your epidural in now. And I could tell that things were moving like really, really fast, but I really wanted the epidural. So I didn't say anything and it took a while and they got it in and they said, well, you know, we're going to check you again now. It's been an hour. So you'll probably be about a five. And I said, I am way more than a five. <laughs> because I could just tell that I was. And they checked me and they said, you're right, it's time to start pushing. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that reminds me a little bit of you, like all of a sudden, like, okay, we're kind of going along. You're like, okay, all right, it's time to push. We're, we're having right. a baby right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's completely unexpected. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, after that, he came home and we went through the normal course of infant checkups and weight gains and all that. And he was doing great. You know, the only thing that really was in retrospect, a clue to us is that he had some heavy breathing and we had, um, you know, kind of followed up with a pediatrician that we had and they were like, okay, sometimes kids can breathe heavy. Everything seems to be okay. We actually took him into a hospital when he was two months for, you know, he was kind of having some strider and breathing a little heavy with that. And so we thought, okay, you know, RSV, something like that. He checked out okay, x-ray was okay, um, sent us home, doing great. Then at six months, kind of the same thing presented again. And so we were like, okay, you know, it's getting to be Thanksgiving weekend. Let's go ahead and get him in because we don't want this long weekend of not being able to see somebody. Yeah. So we took him to the pediatrician and she was like, you know, you need to go to the hospital and, and take him in because he does have that strider again. And we want to get it checked out. So Ben took him and I left a work Thanksgiving lunch actually to go meet him there. We get to the hospital, a local hospital near us, and they do kind of the same routine things before, only this time, instead of sending us home, they they gave him some breathing treatments Uh and then admitted us for overnight. And then at some point the next day, which was actually Thanksgiving, they told us, you know, we don't think that we are fully equipped here for his age, and we would like you to go to a more special, a specialist hospital. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the two that can treat children. So we, we chose St. Louis Children's after some thought and back and forth. And that's where we ended up going. So I went with him in the ambulance. And at that point, you know, there's, he's still coherent. He's still doing okay. It's just heavy breathing and Mm -hmm. and mucus and all that going on. Ben met us there. That that was Thanksgiving day. (laughs) We had some super, you know, awesome nurses that went above and beyond to go and try to get us, give us a Thanksgiving meal. Like as we're trying to get transported in an ambulance from one hospital to another. Um, and then, yeah, once we, we arrived at Children's here in St. Louis, uh, by the time I got there and, you know, they had already taken Jackson and Laura in, you know, they were already connecting them to countless different things. And it, it, it was a very different experience, just kind of seeing what was going on. Yeah. That's when it kind of was like, okay, you know, this, this seems even more serious, you know, at, at this point. Yeah, I think that's when it really got real is because so when I 
arrived with him at Children's. Um, you know, they, they took him up, they had him on the gurney, they took him up, I was with him. Um, we got into the PICU in one of the rooms and it was like a flood of nurses just came in and started hooking him up to things and everything. And I kind of started to take a step back and, and was like, wow, okay, something is really seriously going on here. Yeah. It's not just that they need us to be in a different hospital because they don't usually take care of babies. Right. He needs to be not only a different hospital, he needs to be in an ICU of a highly specialized hospital because he is that sick. Yes, mm -hmm. correct. And so, and, you know, at that point, we're still thinking, okay, there's some sort of virus, you know, going on and he's just yeah. not doing well because he's six months, right? So actually it was the day before his, it was his six month. He, he turned six months old and the yeah. day after that was Thanksgiving. Yeah, so we yeah. took the him to the hospital. The day he turned six months, yeah, we took him into the hospital. Right. So much different from what our plans were for him, you know, introduce him to his first food that night, you know, yeah. introduce him to a bunch of food on Thanksgiving, you know, have some fun with him. Things were quite different and we were yeah. obviously, you know, focused in another area at that point. So we were basically there for about four or five days doing hundreds of tests, everything coming back negative, doing tests multiple times. You know, the not fun part of sticking an IV in him multiple yeah. times. He actually said his first words, which I, I believe was mama at one point when he was trying to get stuck with something. It was both amazing and heartbreaking at the um, same time. I'm sure. I am sure yeah. it was. Wow. And so it was about the fourth or fifth night in, uh, super early morning. I had not slept at all in over 24 hours. A pediatric ICU is not the easiest place to sleep by far. No, it is not. I think Laura had maybe gotten 30 minutes of sleep that night when Jackson just, he, he couldn't get comfortable. And so Laura was still breastfeeding, tried to pick him up and, and breastfeed him. And that's when he just wouldn't take anything. And that was the first time in his life. I mean, he was always wonderful with nursing, never had any issues with any of that, which is why, you know, part of what didn't clue us into what's going on, because I think had he had some nursing issues, they would have thought there was something more serious going on with him. Yes. But he was eating like a champ and he was doing great and he was active and he was developmentally wonderful and maybe even ahead. And so he, I went to go nurse him and, and he just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And it was pretty dark. It was like four in the morning. And I just, I looked over at Ben and he's like, he's turning blue. And I was like, oh my God, um, what do we do? And I think I kind of went into shock a little bit. Mm -hmm. The nurse came in, immediately saw it, hit a button. And I mean, that's the code blue button, basically. In two minutes, we had 30 people in our room working on them as we're getting ushered out. An awesome doctor from another floor came up and actually talked Laura through everything that happened over the next three hours as they continue to work on them. I, I kind of was by myself on, in an, another area of the hospital. You're just kind of losing it with every beeping sound, you know, we're hearing or lack thereof. Um, and basically what ended up happening is during that course of working on him, they brought him back twice. And before, you know, before they wanted to, they were afraid that we, we'd lose him if, if they, you know, lost him a third time, that we'd lose him for good. So they actually came to us and, and had us sign some papers to put him on ECMO, which just mm -hmm. so that everybody knows it's, it's basically, you know, tubes going into your neck to give you oxygenated blood. Yeah. So that basically your heart, you know, can take a break. Other things can take a break. Heart and lungs. Yeah. It's it's a heart lung bypass machine. So it doesn't have to go past your heart or your lungs mm -hmm. and Correct. just goes. And sometimes 
you can get people on that and give them some time and have them recover. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we do that with kiddos a lot. Yeah. That- Which we knew there was risk with that too, but. Oh yeah, for sure. So that was their hope because what happened is, while it seems like minutes for us, it was actually hours. They had tried to intubate him several times and they could not get him intubated and could not figure out why they could not get him intubated. Wow. And so that's when they finally were like, we have to do this, that we can't keep trying to intubate him. And so that's when he went on ECMO, which afterwards they ended up doing a CT and figuring out. And then they showed us all the imaging. He had what was called a a left pulmonary artery sling with tracheal stenosis. So his artery had wrapped when he was forming in the womb around his trachea, which was causing it to be very, very narrow. And we later found out, you know, we knew at the time he was testing negative for all these viruses. So the course of time we were in the hospital, we're like, why, why is he behaving this bad? He's been on, you know, all these breathing treatments this whole time. He's testing negative for all these viruses and infections and, and nothing else is serious. So I don't understand Come to find out, he just had a very minor cold, but his airway was just too narrow for that mm-hmm. mucus to really be able to escape. And so it got stuck and, and they couldn't intubate him because of the narrow airway. And so that's where it, it ended up at was he was just kind of on ECMO and we were at the point of now we need to wait for organ recovery. So like Laura said, over the within 12 hours of that happening and doing the CT scan, we had all these answers. We actually felt very lucky that we were in that hospital because come to find out to perform this particular procedure, there's very few surgeons who have the experience to do it because mm-hmm. it's such a rare disease. It's going to be open heart surgery, essentially. <laughs> Basically, they're of the two surgeons that at least have some experience doing it. One of them just so happened to be at St. Louis Children's. So the plan of attack at that point was to give his body a couple days rest mm-hmm. to then go under that surgery during which, you know, whole next couple of days, he'd be on ECMO. And sure enough, over the next couple of days, you know, his kidney, liver, lungs, heart, all of that were doing much better. Unfortunately, you know, by about the fourth or fifth day, his brain was showing significant, if not complete decline by that point. So he just went too long, essentially, without oxygen. Um, and we kind of knew that, you know, all this happened, I think, Tuesday morning by Friday night, those signs were appearing by Saturday morning. We basically had the conversations that that would be his, the rest of his life. So we basically just from there spent the next two days just doing as much as we possibly could with him. Yeah. Just reading to him, you know, telling, telling him how, how he got here. <laughs> but... Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, so when they first put him on ECMO, he, he opened his eyes for us. And I think at that point we thought, He's okay. Like he's going to come back. He made it. Right. Right. I don't think we realized even with some background ourselves of, you know, we grew up being lifeguards for years and having some first aid CPR knowledge and all of that. And so even with that, like it didn't ever occur to us, he just didn't get oxygen for too long. And so we thought he was coming back to us, but then, you know, they obviously had to sedate him because of everything he was going through. And so that was the last time that we got to really see his, his eyes and, and him. So he was really just laying there sedated mm-hmm. and very, very different looking than our little six month boy looks like beforehand with all of the swelling and everything. And we spent several days trying to research and trying to be positive and trying to figure out, you know, before we knew the brain damage, what, what we could do. Okay. We're going to move houses and we're going to have a handicapped ability house because we know he's probably going to have some vision issues or uh, mobility issues or whatever the case is. We're going to do what we need to. Right. Yeah. And then 
when we found out that he wasn't ever going to basically come out of comatose, we went to, they have a wonderful little library there of children's books. And we just got a bunch of different books and we read him books all day and night, told him about our life story, how we met, how he got into this world. Yeah. Just his little love story, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Everything that we could think of to tell him. And we didn't, I mean, I still don't know. I like to think he heard us, but you know, we just, we wanted him to know that we were with him yeah. throughout the whole thing. And, and then they brought in some things so we could do like handprints and give him a final bath and, and all of those things. So it was pretty well planned out at the end. And we got to have our parents and siblings come in so they could say their goodbyes. Ironically, this book that we picked up at the children's hospital that we started reading him first time we read it to him was during this period never seen it before called the pout pout fish okay i don't know this book a very popular children's book yeah it's a very it's a really good children's book and we had never seen it we were like just grabbing books off the shelf in the library to try to read him and that one just it had like a really a sweet message to it because this fish thinks that he's sad until he realizes after all of his friends trying to cheer him up that he's He's not a pout pout fish. He's actually a kiss kiss fish. And he's meant to be spreading cheery cheeries all over the place. And that for us was just, even though we hadn't read it with Jackson before that moment, it was very symbolistic of his nature because he was just like the easiest, happy, smiley baby you had ever met. I mean, I think he cried like a handful of times. We joked all the time. We were like, sure, we'll have another one. He's easy. Like, why not? (laughs) But he was just the happiest kid. And um, and that book really resonated with us. That has kind of become a symbol for, for us of him at this point. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you want to talk now about then that, that time when, so you had to say goodbye then mm-hmm. in the hospital? Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, like we've heard from, from other couples at least too, the, before we even, you know, let him go, Laura and I had talked that we're determined to not like let this break us and to focus together on on what we need to do. And so, yeah, you know, the hardest thing for sure was leaving that hospital, having let him go and having absolutely no idea what to do next, where to turn next. Yes. Go to your car and and have that car seat there and they're empty seat. You know, I mean, it's just terrible feeling right to have. So the hospital provided us, you know, with a booklet of, of information it was like a folder with some papers in it of some different organizations. And, you know, I, I give them kudos for providing that information to parents. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the information was either irrelevant for us or outdated. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and there was quite a bit of it there. I mean, a whole packet of different organizations to have to dig through when you're in that initial grief period yeah. is just quite overwhelming. It's, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't look through our whole booklet, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, it was just, it was a lot, a lot of it not as relevant. And so we're very researching people by nature, I'd say. Um, so, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, I feel like I need to be doing something. So I just kept trying to go online and research. I was like, is there another organization that we can find? Like, what do we do? Like, there's got to be other parents who've gone through this, right? Like, how do we find these parents? And it was just like, I wasn't finding anything. I wasn't finding anything that clicked with us within our area in St. Louis, anything like that at all. I can so relate because we've talked about this. We talked about this before we started recording. We both lost our kids in 2018, Mm -hmm. which for us is the worst year, way, way worse than 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
But you're right. I did that too. I'm like looking online, trying to find help, trying to find anything really. And I felt like I just couldn't. I mean, that's when I was trying to listen to a podcast. There's got to be a podcast. Nope. There's no podcast. Like, yeah. It's got to be way easier in this day and age to find stuff. I, I, it is way easier, I think. And, and it's funny yeah. because it's only been four years, right? Yeah. I mean, not even quite. But and I, but I think still things are opening up a lot mm-hmm. and it's becoming a little less taboo to talk mm-hmm. about. Right. I think as yeah. time goes on, certainly. But yeah, I'm feeling you. I'm with you. I'm with you. For, for those next couple of weeks, right, we were researching things. We even went to an event that through, through a great organization that's actually located, you know, here in St. Louis, right next to us called SHARE. Mm-hmm. They focus on a lot of infant loss or very, very early first couple of weeks of loss. It's really and, like miscarriage, stillbirth, and yeah. neonatal, like never left the hospital situation. And um, they're a great national organization, but they were also awesome in the sense that they were very upfront and said, you know, this, this isn't going to be the right fit for you. But we, we still keep in touch with them in regards to our organization today as well. We also, uh, Laura at the time with Jackson was in a little league for breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And she had somebody put her in contact actually with Betty and Kyle Mertens, who you have obviously yeah. just talked to. Who has been on the podcast before, Betty and Kyle. We love them. And- we had never met them before. And this this leader of this breastfeeding group that I was in was like, I, I have someone I want to connect you with that has been through this. And so that she did. And that was like a week two, or two. three weeks after yeah. we lost them, right before Christmas, basically. And and they were fantastic. I mean, you know, just meeting another couple. They took us out for dinner and, and some drinks and wine, I'm sure. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> that always is helpful. Did they have their book? They said they would bring the book with people. Did they have the journal? They did. They sure did. Yeah, so that was, a, you know, we had never met these people before. So we show up and we're like, all right, did we make a mistake? Like, what, should we leave? Like, this, is this awkward? Like, what do we do here? But then we sat down with them and it was like an immediate just calm that kind of came through with speaking to them because Betty had brought her journal. Yeah. They listened and they cried with us and they shared Ella's story and they shared what was in their journal. And at that point, it was kind of like, there's hope. Like, these people have been through this. Yeah. And they're doing okay, right? Like, and it was their first yeah. child of very similar stories. Yeah, very similar stories. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, oh, we, we can do this. Like, it's awful. But there's another side to this. Yeah, when you see somebody a little bit ahead of you, and you always think, well, yeah. they did it. Mm-hmm. For me, it was someone in my support group who lost her 12-year-old, you know, and Andy was 14, and she's almost exactly a year ahead of me. And I always, every time I would hit some sort of milestone or some sort of thing, I would think to myself, Stephanie has done this, you know, and that that would give me a little bit of hope, like, mm-hmm. Stephanie did it, I can too, Yeah. right? So yeah. having someone ahead of you on that journey, I think is really, really helpful, at least it was to me. Yeah. Just, yeah, knowing it's, it's, you're not the only one. And and that's kind of, you know, key to us um, in terms of how we think about what we're trying to do is, is really make those connections with people. But, you know, a- after that, we still tried to find some different connection points. We're going to uh, a monthly kind of group to talk about loss, but then about a month, month and a half after we lost Jackson, his pediatric ICU doctor and his wife, who's a licensed clinical social worker who, you know, used to work at hospitals for years as well. And did palliative care. 
they took us out to dinner as well and and we're like you know just seeing how we were doing seeing what our experience was that's beautiful thinking you know through like how can this be better you know what you know think about that and just having that meeting you know not only felt that they obviously very much cared but then also kind of put laura and i on a path to with like a goal to do something about it or at the very least just to figure out how to make this better. And so, you know, over the course of the next couple months, you know, we're attending different things. We're attending bereavement conferences. I feel like we tried to attend every, <laughs> we, I, we probably just didn't know what to do with ourselves. So yes. we were like trying to attend every bereavement organizational, you know, informational meeting, anything we could, uh, conferences, all of it. And of, I think in the back of our mind, we had had this idea like, okay, maybe we'll come up with some sort of plan in terms of what we can do to make it better for people when they land in our shoes. But we hadn't, you know, we were still focusing on our grief at the time. So that was kind of on the back burner. Yeah. And so, I mean, we were doing it we were going, you know, to therapy, which again, I, I highly recommend and certainly want to throw that out there. It's the, the tip I give to every bereaved parent is I know therapy sometimes has a little bit of a, a negative connotation, but the way I, I think we approached it was more of, it's a way to help facilitate your thoughts where if a, a therapist can do it right, you know, they just ask you questions that maybe you haven't thought through yourself before mm-hmm. that helps you actually go through things in a more healthy way than just kind of letting them sit there. So for us, that was super helpful. Um, and I think and we did it together, which was really helpful, I think, for, for us to be able to see each other because everybody grieves so differently. Um, And I'm actually in the process of writing a blog for our website about this right now. It really helped us to realize that each other's, the way we grieve is different and that's okay. And what we needed to do for each other and how we could be there for each other and what each other's triggers were and all of that so that we could, and I think it really did help strengthen our relationship. You know, I, I often say that that is, it almost feels like that's the strongest year that we've ever had together is surprisingly the year after we lost Jackson. Yeah, I I think you're right in that a lot of couples might think, oh, my husband's not grieving. He's not grieving. A lot of Mm -hmm. wives, I think, will think that because they want to verbalize things. And perhaps the husband is not verbalizing it. They're going out for a run, or I know I've, we've given this example, Gwen's given this example of they're out chopping wood, they're out mm-hmm. doing some more things. And that is great. I work. tore down a shower. I built <laughs> I built a couple workbenches. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was all of that. Ben did quite a few home projects. Home improvement projects. And that was your grief work. And it actually yeah. was oh, yeah. grief work. And if you have someone like a therapist to be able to explain that to you, mm-hmm. I think that can be extremely helpful. And that's why I like to mention it too on the this podcast is because I do feel like especially a lot of moms can misinterpret and things and think, why is he working on that right now? That does not matter. That is not what's important. What's important is we just lost our child. And yet that is the time that you can process and doing something with your hands and now just having that space is a way that you can process things, right? It's just different. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think we definitely processed. I mean, there are a lot of similarities I'd say that we did, um, sure. you know, with our grief work, but at the same time, so many different things, like he would be working around the house doing those things. And I would be like, I need to, my brain needs a serious mental break. And I'm going to sit down on the couch and pour myself into something that does not matter on TV because I cannot mentally, you know, take the things going around in my mind at the moment. Right. Nice non-triggering cooking show, for example. That's a whole nother story. It took quite a while to find some shows that weren't like everything was triggering at first. So <laughs> It's amazing how it can be, right? Yeah. Isn't the grocery store like the worst? I just oh. feel like that. that is the worst. I, it is. And I distinctly remember we went to a hardware store and I'm like, cool, there's not going to be any triggers here. And we're standing in line and there's this little boy in front of us and I like lost it and uh-huh. he was okay. But I had to, I, we just had a, un, a knowing, you know, a, an unspoken communication that if something like that happened, I'm just going to leave and go out in the car and like, I just can't take it. My big trigger was every single time I was out and about and I saw a family with three kids. Mm. Especially if the yep. middle one was a boy. It didn't even matter what the other ones were. But if the middle one was a boy, yeah. I I would just, I would be thinking in my mind, like, you don't even know. What, w- yeah. what would happen if that one was just gone tomorrow? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. just like crazy thoughts that I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. But those are the things that end up triggering you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I don't think anybody could ever know what it is that's going to trigger them until you're in that place. So most people thankfully never have to know that, but. And the triggers can change over time. They do. You know, I would say too. I mean, something that used to bother me a couple of years ago, is completely different today. It doesn't bother me today, but maybe there's something different. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This week they had a beautiful, so his, the high school that Andy, well, he was in elementary school through the eighth grade and then he was going to aviation academy for high school. But the original school that he went to all these kids with, they had their graduation, high school graduation, and unbeknownst to me, they decided to have a moment of silence for Andy, which I found out about, and, it, you know, I had people texting me about it, and it was beautiful, and I, like, sobbed. I was sobbing on the deck to the point where Eric came running out. I think he was pretty sure someone else had died because I was sobbing like that. But the next day, I had to go to work and I had to go to walk-in, and we just see them in order, and the next, what, we got to one that was a 15-year-old boy, and I was like, nope that's not happening today. And I've been okay seeing teenage boys for a few years now. I've been pretty fine. But that day, there was no seeing a teenage boy. We're like, we are skipping that and moving on to the seven-month-old girl underneath. Like, that is what's happening today. And I just turned to one of my partners and said, that can't happen for me today. And they're like, okay, totally cool. Not a big deal. But you just, like you said, you know, you just don't know what will trigger you. And I don't know that I would have realized even when I walked into work that day that yeah. I wasn't going to be able to do that. But turns out I couldn't. Right. And there, I mean, the funny thing about that too is like, for example, when we saw Betty and Kyle and even like the first time we were introduced to them, their son, uh, Ryder was actually, so that was their child after Ella. And he was the same, a couple months different from Jackson. So relatively the same age they ended up having to bring him with them for part of our meeting. And, you know, she was obviously very apologetic, you know, thinking it might cause a trigger. Yeah. But it didn't. And for whatever reason with us, you know, or at least with me, seeing other kids of brief parents was never the same for me as it was just seeing like a random family out or other people that we knew with living Uh children, which Uh you, you, you internally, you feel awful about that, but it's just, it was so weird how that worked that it was like, I have zero 
like triggers no feelings at all. Like, in fact, I kind of like, I just want to love on your son. Right. But if I saw somebody else in that same position who I knew was not a brave parent, it would be like just a trigger. Yeah, I, I agree too with that. So going back to the three kid thing. So what ended up kind of getting me out of that is I one day had this realization in my head that I didn't know that there didn't used to be four. Right? I have yeah. no idea if that's a whole family. Maybe that's there true. were four kids. Maybe there were five kids. There are three now, but that's all I know. Because I started thinking about the fact that when we walked into a restaurant as a family of four sitting in a booth, another huge trigger for me because I didn't like the fact that I could sit at a regular table for like regular, you know, family of four because we always had to have the big table. But when I had that realization, it started making me think about people and families in a little different way, thinking maybe they're undergoing tremendous loss too. Maybe something else has happened to them. And I stopped thinking of them as whole. And I think that's what you're talking about. Because when you looked at Ryder, you didn't, and that, and Betty and Kyle, you knew they were a broken family. You knew they weren't whole. And when you saw strangers out and about, you assumed that they're a whole family. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it it definitely is. And I think it took a while to work through that. Yes. But I think the further that we've gotten through our, you know, our grief work with Jackson, it has, I've come to that same realization that, you know, we don't know what these people's lives are like and what they've lost and what they haven't. And I assuming is just is ignorant on my part. And so yeah. while it still may hurt sometimes, um, I try to always, you know, give the benefit of a doubt and and just say, we just don't know what people, I mean, right. people look at us, they, they think we just have a daughter now. And if they don't know us, you know, they're not going to think any differently. So it's it's the same way. You just don't know everybody's story. Yep. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And you're, and you're also right in saying it doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt because it still does right. hurt, but it just doesn't have the same level of hurt. I think a hurt mm-hmm. along with like presumed jealousy, that, mm-hmm. that part kind of went away because I really yeah. don't know. Right, exactly. I would agree with that. So now we need to give Just Enduring its amount of time here because this has been now an hour and a half leading in to talking about what this organization is and how it really came to be with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, you know, for us, the genesis started with our PICU doctor and and his wife, uh, Dr. Ken Remy and Allison Remy, and just kind of starting us down that path. We did a bunch of things, like I was saying, one of those things um, was also going to Face Lodge in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. where it happened to be the same weekend and Nick and Martha were there as well. It, It was to us, you know, I think the best thing during our bereavement journey that we've been on. Um, you know, coming to that lodge and, and the schedule of events that seemed like there were only one or two things the whole day and way too much open time. We're like, oh, this is going to be awkward. Yeah. Um, but it actually, I think, ended up being quite the opposite and quite the benefit where it provided a lot of open, free downtime to talk with the other parents and get to know them. And, and that's exactly what we did. And, and we still are in touch with three of, I think, the five couples that were at that, I mean, on a pretty regular basis. Wow. And another couple, Sarah and, and Daryl Karanimi, were on there. Sarah does actually our social media for us uh, through Justin During right now. Um, so, yeah, it was a very kind of tight, tight group for sure. Uh, but it was during that stay 
that, you know, after a, a couple beverages and, and talking, you know, late into the night, we were just saying, oh, we got to do something. What exactly that is, we don't know. For Laura and I, we had an 11-hour ride back to St. Louis where we got a lot of time to talk and think about it, and, and we did. I mean, we started kind of jotting those notes down then. But And we had talked with the McGeehan's at Face Lodge because they had this, They were in a different hospital in St. Louis than us, the other one that was equipped for you know children. Okay. But they had a very similar experience in terms of, you know, if you, I'm sure they've mentioned it on their podcast, but, you know, in terms of not having the support really offered to them afterwards. And so we all started talking. It was just kind of a coincidence that the four of us from St. Louis were up in Wisconsin for this weekend. And so we started talking about what could we do to change that in the St. Louis area. So we ended up getting, you know, the four of us together along with uh, Ken and, and Allison, and we ended up forming just enduring. I mean, we we literally sat in their basement and came up with a name, which so the J for uh, just is you know representing the J for Jackson, and and the E for enduring is representing Everly. And you know, we we also you know certainly talked about the name and the fact that every bereaved parent is literally enduring. They're having to go through, and, and they're just enduring it. Yeah. And it's it's going to be something that's you know there's going to be highs and lows the whole time. But we also spent quite a bit of time coming up with our tagline, too, um, which is living and loving after child loss. Because even though you might be enduring it, there is still life and love afterwards. Yeah. We really want to have that focus. We want to be there for people immediately after the loss and know that absolutely nothing we can say or do is going to help what they're going through. But as they go through that journey, we also want them to understand that life and love can exist af- afterwards. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure I kind of echoes Betty and Kyle have in the book that they've written on it in the sense that there's these silver linings, you know, in, in what's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We sat down, came up with the name, came up with our, our mission statement, and the three main areas that we really want to focus on are giving immediate resources to people when they need it. So that's first step. Second thing is, is connecting like parents together based on their similar loss, losses that they've had and experiences. And a lot of that was inspired with the Mertens and the McGeehan's because those connections for us were just phenomenal. And they were mm-hmm. a major part of our grief journey. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is trying to have some type of retreat, you know, a little more centrally located. So we're not just a hour south of the Canadian border. So it's just more reachable for more people. Mm-hmm because of how much of an impact it had for us. So on the immediate resources front, that's obviously one area we've been working on for a couple of years. So we have quite a bit of information on our website, which is easily accessible for anybody. So we've got places on there for parents and um, and siblings, places on there for friends and family to go on to find information to help those parents. A lot of times those parents are not in a place to be looking up things themselves. Not everybody is like me. that They just want to hop on the computer and try to research as much as they can right away. So they might need some help with some family members who say, okay, what can I do to go on and, and give these people some, some information to help them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, also for professionals, you know, medical, medical staff, other professionals, because not only do they need to know where to give this information to parents or where to get that information to give parents, but also for themselves, they go through it a lot as well. And so kind of helping them to understand the grief process and, and everything is I think helpful as well. I would add to that, you know, things such as what to say, what to do. I feel like those are some of the most popular things, right? That people are like, I, I don't know what to say to, to a bereaved couple and, and what they've been through, which is 100% fair. Yeah. 
But then we also have other things on our website too. You know, my background is data and analytics and I've tried to compile some data from the CDC. And, you know, one of the biggest things that has stood out to me is that nearly just under 50,000 deaths occur every year for children between the ages of zero and 20 in the United States alone. You know, you double that number for each parent. It's over 100,000 parents. You then think about all the family and friends, you know, that would perhaps attend a funeral or just contact the parents to see how they're doing. Or just be it, impacted by it. I mean, they might have a special relationship with that child as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a much, much broader impact. And I think what most people realize, and, and kind of Marcy to what you said earlier, it's it's becoming more okay to talk about, right? But it's, it's also how do we get that awareness out there to make sure people know that is okay. Yeah. Which kind of then leads into the other part of our website that we, we try to do. We have two different sections on there. One is basically what we call our children's stories. And we, we give every bereaved parent, mom and dad, specifically separately, an opportunity to talk about the life they had with their child, what the loss was, and then again, what that life and love is after that loss. Yeah. And we purposely want to have a, a, an opportunity for the mom and dad to tell that uniquely because they both have their own connection and relationship with their child. But we also specifically are trying to call out, you know, for dads, it's okay as well mm-hmm. to go out there and tell that story because more often than not, it's, it's the moms, which is great, but we want to make sure the dads know they got some love too. Yep. So then the, the last part that we have as well is, is our living and loving after loss uh, blog. Um, which anybody contribute there. So whether it's a, a doctor, a therapist, a parent, a, a friend, a sibling, but we all want to give everybody an opportunity to share with this community things and ways to help. And again, some of the beauty that might be found on the flip side of, of obviously the worst thing that can happen to anybody. And just their experiences. You know, everybody's got different experiences. So if somebody's able to write for our blog about what their experience was and that's able to help somebody else, I mean, that's really the key there is, you know, what, even if you're not connecting physically with another uh, parent or couple, maybe you read a blog and that resonates with you because you're like, oh my gosh, like it is okay to have those triggers. Or, um, you know, I didn't realize that this was going to happen afterwards, but this person's now writing about it. And I feel like I'm not alone. As Laura alluded to a little bit earlier, the other really big thing on, on our site, the thing that we feel like really differentiates us from anybody else out there and anybody kind of in this bereavement realm is what we call our parent like you program. Mm -hmm. Friends and family can refer a a parent, bereaved parent themselves can sign up for it. But the whole purpose is we want to make that connection like we had with Betty and Kyle, like we have Nick and Martha, that you can find somebody who perhaps had a loss around the same time that you did. And you can kind of go through this grief journey together. And so that's really kind of our vision for that. We are, we are young. We are still new. We are still growing that community. But that's also our biggest thing that we're trying to make those connections on. The best thing I can, I can somewhat relate it to is, is like a dating app where, you know, you go on, you make some selections and you find that right connection. That's really our end goal that we want to get to. And, and we know with nearly 50,000 children who pass away every year, 
there's more than enough people just in the United States alone mm-hmm. to help make some of those connections. And whether those connections are, like Ben said, the based on the time frame of when you lost your child, their age, their condition, the cause of death, whatever it is that the connection feels most comfortable, you know, like whatever each party feels like is helpful for them. That's what we want to focus on. So we can ask those details to find out a little bit more and try to make that connection. And we've actually, one of the silver linings, I think, of COVID is that we've now realized that we don't have have to be, you know, I think our initial plan was St. Louis based and we don't need to be St. Louis based. So most of the people that we actually have been getting questions from or interest in our Parent Like You program are not from St. Louis. And so we've been able to, I think, broaden our horizons a little bit more than we initially thought that we could. Yeah. Right now I'm hosting a virtual support group for that has just bereaved mothers in it. It's supposed to be just bereaved people, but I I just only have a bunch of bereaved moms Mm -hmm. and Interesting, all of my bereaved moms right now have boys, so that's even even crazier. But there are 12 of us, and I consider them 12 of my closest, dearest friends now. And they go from California to New Jersey and everywhere in between. And they are so precious to me. I mean, when I was in St. Louis, I visited one of my ladies that's in St. Louis. I visited another one that's in Tennessee last year when I was traveling through Tennessee. I stopped and visited her and it felt almost like a sister both times, actually. Like we went out to dinner and it's like we were long lost friends and it's the first time we'd ever really met. So yeah, it's amazing what those things can do for you that just, I mean, I they're, they're both closer friends than many of them that I have locally now that would, that I consider my friends, but it's not on the same level. Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, we realized that even though they seem like strangers, when you meet these other people who are bereaved parents as well, and you share your stories, it's like that connection is instantaneous almost. And you just feel so close to them and they become such a big part of your life. Um, And we wanted to be able to have that connection for other parents, which is part of where this program comes into play is we don't want people going around feeling like they're not connected, you know, to other people and and they can't share those experiences. And we want them to have that because I think that's really helped us in our journey. And when we've talked with other parents who've gone through the same thing, they've echoed that sentiment that it's also, you know, parents that they've met throughout the journey have really been kind of foundational for, for their grief work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we want to be able to share with other parents so that they know that that's out there and that it can take whatever form they want. It can be text, phone calls, Zooms, in person, you know, everybody's got a different opinion on what is within their level of comfort. And so we want to approach that in a way that fits them best. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the last thing I, I guess I'll say is there's there's so many things, right, you can do to, to help you along this grief journey. And, and we want to certainly on, on behalf of just enduring provide those through the immediate resources, but also through this program. You know, we absolutely, as I've already said, encourage therapy and a variety of other things, but we feel like having that intimate connection is perhaps the most important thing. Yeah. I think a lot of people talk about the groups of people getting together, which is fantastic. But, you know, when when you do that on a regular basis or every month and everybody kind of rehashes their same story over and over again, you want to feel... a sense of progress and and a sense of progress together. And that's when we feel like when you make that connection with these other individuals like that, that's when that most, that happens more, more than ever. And and that's just, that's how we want to help people kind of progress. And and again, live in love after that child loss, 
honoring it every day of their life through through this kind of kind of work. And I think we actually ended up benefiting dually because we got Betty and Kyle who were ahead of us. So we got to benefit from, like we talked about earlier, knowing that there is another side to this, but we also got to walk through it with Nick and Martha who were on the same timeline as us. And so getting that parent who's on that same journey at the same time can be almost just as beneficial as it is to have someone ahead of you because you're, you've got someone to go through it together with, and you've got somebody to talk to that we've got close friends as well, like you said, but they're just, they're on a different level. So we've got these friends we had, you know, pre-Jackson and these friends post-Jackson and the bereaved parents post-Jackson, we can talk to them about some different things that we just don't really talk with our other friends about because sometimes those things can seem scary to, you know, we don't want to scare other yeah. our oh, friends and you right. know, they've got kids as well. We don't need to talk to them about all the details of death because they don't have to process that. No, no. But I'll also add too that our friends have also been instrumental in not only understanding, but also talking about about death with their own children and, yeah. you know, Jackson not being there. So, I mean, yeah. on both sides, like we've been just absolutely amazed at what people have done around us to really just help support us and, and continue to support us, you know, even years later. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I would agree. Well, I do think about what you said about having somebody similar. And when Andy died, Andy died on a Wednesday and I posted to social media his last solo that he sang at the Christmas concert before he died was him singing the last verse of Away in the Manger and if you don't know the last verse of the man way in the manger it ends with and fit us for heaven to live with thee there so it's Andy singing about going to heaven and I posted that to social media and it had a hundred thousand likes so it went out oh, wow always yeah so a woman contacted me on, I believe that Sunday, that her son, this is now on the other side of the state, the other side of Michigan, had died in an ATV accident the night before. And here, her son was maybe six months to a year older than Andy. So he was 15 and, and Andy was 14. And anyway, that, it was really beneficial. I never even spoke to her on the phone. We only messaged on Facebook Messenger. That's all we did. But we did it a lot in those first days and weeks. When I came home from the visitation, she's the one I talked to. When she came home from her visitation, I was the one she talked to, right? Because it was someone who was doing this at the exact same time. You know, mine, ours was a car accident. Theirs was an ATV accident, but almost identical, almost the same exact age. There were so many similarities that I felt like this is someone, and it felt safe too because it was just through Messenger. It, it would have been scarier for me to meet her or even talking to her on the phone, but messaging felt safe. And so that is a wonderful thing. If you can help kind of facilitate some people who are going through this exact same thing, it really did normalize it for the both of us that we were doing it together. And we really were doing it together. I mean, our... Funerals were like a day or two apart. Everything was right this exactly the same. So anyway, I just want to kind of offer that to you about how 
I love that you've expanded it beyond just St. Louis because it doesn't need to be that way. And especially right away, in person can be scary. I mean, you even think about when you first saw Kyle and Betty, you're like, is this right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad you did. But that was a, took a lot of bravery, actually, for you to do that. I think about going to my first, you know, grief support group. I was terrified. And it took a lot of bravery to walk in that first day. And sometimes you don't have it. Yeah. You don't have it in you to be able to take that first step. But, you know, answering a text or doing something online, that's going to feel a little easier, right? I would say our approach with it, though, too, was we just lost a kid. There can't be anything worse in this world. In other words, any anxiety we had walking in, we are like, can't get worse. Literally can't yeah. get worse. I just, my thoughts that <laughs> kept going through my mind were I walked in and all that kept going through my mind is, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. You're yeah. not one of these people. You need to leave. Totally fair. Andy's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. This is not you. You are not one of these people. So it was not more, it was not fear exactly. It was the voices in my head yeah. telling me I wasn't one of those people. Right. And I didn't actually fit because I couldn't wrap my head around the idea that this was really happening. Yeah. No. And I think that's totally valid. And I think, in fact, most of the people that we get asking us about our Parent Like You program or signing up to do it, they are wanting because we ask, you know, what kind of communication do you want? And when we finish out to them, you know, how do you want to proceed? And I think you're, you know, most people are wanting to do more of a, a text or a message type you know, situation mm -hmm. rather than, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of let's do phone calls and zoom, you know, or yeah. in person. I think we're open to all of it. And I think in person can be beneficial, but I think it will progress to that though. I mean, it just goes yeah. back to what I just told you about my virtual support groups. I mean, Honestly, all the women in my virtual support group listen to my podcast, right? That's how they got yeah. on. And then they feel like, okay, I think I want to get to know her a little bit more. I think I want to get to know other parents. I think I can do a Zoom. And that, next thing you know, I'm like showing up at their front door. So, you know, it, it progresses. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I definitely think it does. And I think it, it's kind of everybody's got their own timeline as well. Like there's no set timeline of it takes you three months and then you're going to feel like this or it takes you six months and you're going to feel like this. It's, oh it's gosh, so no. all over the place and it's so up and down that everybody's got their differences in what they're comfortable with. And I think yeah. that's what we want to make sure that, you know, we're addressing too, that we're not pushing someone to do something that they're not comfortable with. Right. Right. I mean, I'm at three and a half, over three and a half years now and I cried every day this week. I mean, I just had a really awful week and that's totally okay. Right. It just is. Yeah. I just had a lot of triggers going on. There's a lot happening with this graduation yeah. and all of that. It's just a lot. And and it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, we thought, I thought I was doing like so much better after our like first year of going through everything. And then we had our daughter and it was like, okay, now all these anxieties and different mm -hmm. fears and everything are coming back. And, and I think, and that kind of waxes and wanes too, because it kind of went away when she hit six months. Um, and then it comes back up with different things. And mm -hmm. so it's just, and then there's just different feelings, you know, the sadness of not getting to see, you know, Jackson experience the moments that she experiences. And yeah, it's just, it's all over the place. <laughs> it is, it is. And that's the beauty of having people walk it with you. I love what you're doing. I'm so excited. 
to see this grow and really be even more nationwide. So again, how to get in contact with you, just tell people where you are, if you're on social media, things like that. So our website is justenduring.org. And then we also are on social media. So we've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I think we have a Pinterest account as well. And we are actually, we're currently in the process of trying to get in to be more of a cornerstone within hospitals and funeral homes. So that is to come. Um, We're, you know, in those baby steps, but hopefully those things will be available for parents, you know, as they unfortunately end up in this situation where they're walking this path. And that'll be something that we can hopefully get into their hands pretty immediately. We also have different contact forms. I would just say that's, that is key. So the, the support group that I went to, the reason I even knew about it, you know, I told you I got the whole packet from the hospital that I didn't really do anything, much of anything with for the most part. But when I went to the funeral home, I also got a packet of information. But the thing about the funeral home is the funeral director handed me a packet of information. He took out one of the the forms that he had, the flyers. He flipped it to the back. He circled Starlight Ministries, wrote down Gwen's name, and he said, call this number. Call this woman. And when I had somebody say, call this number, I was like, okay right? I don't know what else to do. I will call that number. But I actually needed somebody to say, call this number. So that is the key is to talk to hospital personnel and talk to funeral home personnel and have them know about it. So they circle your number on the paper Mm -hmm. and say, call this number or go to this website because then you will do it. It, The packet isn't enough. Right. That's yeah. so very, very true. That's where, too, we, we purposely offer, you know, printable PDFs for, for the caregivers, for family and friends, right, to give to the bereaved parents, even of just a simple one-pager PDF in terms of just check this out. Something yeah. in front of you, go to it, look at it. Hopefully, there's if there's even the smallest thing that can help you, then we're happy just to, to get you along your grief journey. We're, we're happy to kind of play that role. I think that's why we put so much on our website, too, is because we want people to be able to access that at their own pace. So you're not going to be necessarily in the mindset to look at all of the details. I mean, there's information, everything from you know, help with funeral planning to how to find a therapist to lactation support if you've lost an infant. Ben said earlier the what to say, what not to say, what to do thing. And so we've got all of those things on there as well as I think he was getting to mentioning the forms so that when you're ready, if you wanted to submit a form to us to join our Parent Like You program or just find out more information about it or volunteer or donate or whatever, those are forms that are all on that website so that you can do that whenever you want to do that. But I think you're right. I think getting individuals to kind of point out that this is the organization that might be the most beneficial to you is really going to be the most helpful to those parents because it's just so overwhelming at first. And also to your point about, you know, just having that one number to go to, one of the other big things that we're working on right now is is more of a booklet where basically we give you a one-pager checklist that can tell you in, in additional pages more information, but it's that one-page checklist of, okay, in the first, right after the loss, what do I do? In the first zero to two days, what am I doing? In the first week, what am I doing? In the next couple months, what am I doing? What does that look like? Where should I be? You know, so that things like planning the funeral, you know, can be a little bit simpler for what you're having to go through right now. Like you don't have to get as involved in that or to reach out to a friend to help, you know, plan a funeral to contacting social security and having to deal with that entire mess. 
like all these little things that, you know, maybe most people don't think about that can feel so overwhelming in this time. We're just trying to make it a little bit simpler, you know, during that, that time step. in our life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's perfect doing it in a step-by-step fashion because it's just overwhelming, like you say, mm-hmm. just absolutely yep. overwhelming. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I am just excited to see where this goes and, you know, excited to get you in our hospital here so that we can we can get some benefits of this as well, because certainly I think we all could do better. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.